somebody. St not only is Sting here, also in the in the arena, the giant Ted DiBiase of the NWO. They are looking up towards Sting. I wonder what in the world is going on here. If that is maybe a stare down or possibly if something is in the works between Sting and the NWO. Nitro is on the air. Hi, everybody. Hour number one is underway, along with the living legend Larry Zabisco. I am Tony Schiavone. It's great to have you with us. One of our most important telecasts in the history of WCW Monday Nitro. Tonight, not only will you see Lex Luger and Booker T in a return match, you know the NWO is here, you know Sting is here somewhere. Tonight, we began a tournament to crown a new WCW Ladies Champion, as you see the belt right in front of us. But more importantly than all of that, fans, as we talked about the entire weekend, Eric Bischoff is not here tonight. He is in Portland, Oregon. He left this weekend. Negotiations are going on, meeting with Rowdy, Roddy Piper, trying to sign what will be, no doubt, and would be the match of the decade between Piper and Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Boy, and what a set of events it has. You know, Tony, in the 1970s... Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, our chronological breakdown of World Championship Wrestling's flagship show where each episode is viewed, reviewed, analyzed, and categorized as we compile an audio anthology of our tour along the southern front of wrestling's Monday Night Wars. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, <laughs> as always, it's my broadcast colleague, Dave Amantorp. How are you doing this week, Dave? I'm doing good. Uh, here in Minnesota, it's starting to warm up now, so it's been uh, a little bit nicer to actually like come over, <laughs> drive over to your sure, place without yeah. feeling like I'm going to slide into the ditch somewhere. So <laughs> yes. that's always a plus. Yes. Well, uh, we've got a lot to talk about, a lot going on in Nitro tonight. But before we get into it, I do want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro or uh, Dave's account himself is at Dave Amantorp. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 years of Nitro, and you can email the show at 20 years of Nitro at gmail.com. Today is November 4th, 1996, and we are coming to you live from the Van Andel Arena in beautiful Grand Rapids, Michigan. This is something like the fourth event that has ever happened in this nearly brand new facility. Mm -hmm. uh, it opened just weeks ago. And we are in front of 7,568 fans, a sold-out crowd uh, who paid a record Nitro gate of $102,340. Uh, they also spent $38,000 on merch, so all in all a good financial night for the company. That's just crazy to think of, like how much money spent on merchandise in one night. Yeah, and that's actually per head, like five bucks a person. I did the math earlier, and I think like more on a... Other like you know when it really starts getting going with merch, I think is more even close to like ten dollars a head. So it's okay. a lot of money, but uh, per person, I think they'll actually like that's going to only go up over time. Yeah, this is the sixtieth episode of WCW Monday Nitro, and one of three remaining episodes before this month's World War Three pay per view. Tony welcomes us to the great state of Michigan, but Larry says that if nowhere has a middle, we're currently dead center in it. Tony says that we're packed to the rafters, and speaking of the rafters, Sting is shown standing in them, keeping an eye on the proceedings. I think I th I like the comparison of him being the Phantom of the Opera. I think that sure. that's very 
What does Mongo say apropos? It is apropos, yes. <laughs> and uh, unlike Mongo, you're using that word correctly. All right. <laughs> and uh, I like the fact that uh, that Zbysko said it, and Tony didn't seem ready for that comment, so yeah. he kind of stutters a little bit. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't know how, what to do with that information. Now, the question of who watches The Watchman is evidently Ted DiBiase, The Giant, and Vincent, who are all shown in the standing in the arena among the crowd looking up at the stinger. <laughs> And and it's really unfortunate for whoever got tickets to have to be behind the giant for half the show. <laughs> That's a bummer. Tony and Larry are actually in the broadcast booth this week. Normally, they uh, open the show. They do the first hour from a table at ringside. Mm -hmm. uh, but they are in the actual booth uh, that we normally see Eric, Bobby, and Mike Tanay at. Uh, and that is because this week, Eric Bischoff uh, is not on the show, which we will get into in just a little bit. Uh, there is a title belt on the desk that we're going to get to also momentarily. But first, Tony tells us that this is one of the most important telecasts in Nitro's history. Uh, no real reason why. I mean, we're I, I guess the idea is we're awaiting a big announcement. So that, right. that must be it. Why waiting for a big announcement is bigger than some of the other things we've seen on Nitro is right. questionable at best. But and just the way he strings the that sentence together is yeah. he immediately goes to like the return match of Lex Luger and Booker T. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. I'm like that doesn't exactly make the biggest Nitro ever. A rematch between two non-champions, <laughs> right? <laughs> okay, who were just thrown together last week, and <laughs> I I sense had real no like uh, they didn't hate each other or anything, so yeah. it's not a grudge match. <laughs> so. He also says that, as we know, Sting and the NWO are both here, as we've seen them already in the arena. And then he tells us that tonight begins a tournament to crown a WCW women's champion. Or as he says, ladies champion. Yes. Well, he's a gentleman. <laughs> right. It's still a new thing to him, too. Now, this is a new title for the company. Uh, they have made attempts to have a women's division before, uh, most recently 1991. But they did not have a title. They they've just kind of had matches back then. Mm -hmm. So this is this is a brand new title, brand new belt. And and if you are someone that follows myself on Twitter, I did post a picture of the title. Uh, I'm just I'm kind of a fanatic of titles. So when a new one shows up, I feel like I need to comment on it. Yeah. Um. I think it's okay. It's not it's not ugly belt. It's not a great belt. Yeah. It, I I just I couldn't. I couldn't garner like a real strong reaction one way or the other about it. Yeah. I was like six, six out of ten. It's decent. It's a decent belt. Yeah, it's. Uh, I agree. It's it's pretty average. N definitely um, not going to be one that we're going to be making fun of. It's just a belt. Yeah, and it's you can tell it's kind of the style of like the cruiserweight title. They look very similar. Um, I don't know if maybe it's just a matter of who's been who was making the belts at that time. I don't. I can't remember exactly who's making their belts at this moment, but um, it just seems to follow a very similar style. Sure. Bischoff is evidently off tonight, as according to Tony, he is in Portland negotiating with Roddy Roddy Piper, trying to get a match signed between Piper and Hogan for an unspecified future date. Larry Zabisco, who evidently doesn't understand basic economic concepts of inflation or supply and demand compares the NWO's tactics to the gas crisis of the 1970s, saying that this is more manipulation by intimidation. Oh, yeah. That... He, he has this thing about, like, okay, the gas when there was a gas shortage, gas only cost 30 cents a gallon, but now that it costs $1.50 a gallon, uh, there's, it's there's a ton of... And it's yeah. like, well, yeah, but it's 20 years later and inflation has happened, so that, that's <laughs> not really... You're not making any point at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I listened to that and I kind of thought and I was like, just remember, it probably doesn't make sense. 
I I, I, t I took some I took too much time thinking about what he was trying to say, and then I realized that he didn't have a good point. Yeah. Then I was able to move on. <laughs> <laughs> that of course doesn't relate at all to what Tony had just said, but clearly Larry thought of it ahead of time as a thing to say at the top of the show, and right. thought that it would make him sound very smart and clever. Uh, he does mention that Piper is not caught up by the paranoia that's caused by the NWO. We then see a little replay of Piper at Halloween Havoc, and Tony claims that WCW was uh, inundated after the show with calls, letters, emails, etc., uh, demanding that Piper-Hogan match. Yeah, um, <laughs> I think it might be uh, another time when they mention it, but they mentioned letters and postcards. And I imagine if you're a wrestling fan, you were so, like, wanting Piper yeah. to, to show up that you went and bought a postcard and you wrote like a furious note on it yeah. and stamped it and put it in the mailbox. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, apparently it's working because yeah. here's Bischoff trying to get him to sign because they got enough postcards saying like, this is the match that they want. This is a, apparently in the match of the decade, which I'm, I'm not sure where that comes from other than they feuded about 10 years ago. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> it probably says something like uh, most letters said, Dear Bischoff, yours is a butt that won't quit. <laughs> they got these championships here that... They got pay -per Roddy Piper. They got pay-per-views of uh, 1995. Get out of yeah. here. <laughs> Shivani then says that Hogan and Piper are the two biggest stars in wrestling, uh, burying a lot of members of his own roster, like Sting, Flair, Randy Savage. <laughs> right. This is... Uh, <laughs> You know, when, last week when I said that they weren't going to mention Savage at all, now it's just now. Now is it not mentioning him? Now it's erasing anything he's done in WCW. Right. Yes. <laughs> They've clearly moved on <laughs> from Randy Savage, um, and at this point, I'm just like, if I'm a fan, or or if I'm a kind of a fan that's in the know, yeah, I'm thinking, why would they want to resign Savage? It seems like they kind of used every extent that they could with that guy. Larry says that fear has turned Hogan into a liar and a manipulator, and Tony says that later tonight we'll see Hogan's scared reaction from Halloween Havoc, so maybe tonight we're going to get the full footage, the stuff that was cut off the pay-per-view? Right. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, one thing's for sure, it sounds like we're going to be sitting through <laughs> that promo for another five minutes of my life. Right. Yes. Sting is shown again uh, up in the rafters, this time walking away, just towards the back. <laughs> He's doing so as Brad Armstrong is introduced to the ring. It's fitting. He hears his music. He's like, ah, I'm going to go get a pretzel or something. Armstrong is going to be taking on fellow Georgia native Marcus Alexander Bagwell of the American Males, who comes out to Big Pyro along with his tag team partner, Scotty Riggs. Marcus is extra smiley and demonstrative on his way to the ring, and here to call all the action is our own weekend lover, Dave Amantorp. Okay. Um... And I just thought, I don't know why, but this week in particular, it seems like Marcus Alexander Bagwell is a little bit even more inflated as far as physique's concerned oh, sure. than usual. And I was like, I wonder if the fact that he's getting like singles matches now have anything to do with that. But yeah. only time will tell. Yeah, and I point out the um, the fact that he's being like a lot bigger with his movements and his like, look at what a good guy I am. I point that out because I think it's actually a, a choice that he makes that uh, we'll oh. kind of get into throughout the night here. Sure. Okay. And uh, the first no note I had here was like, what an odd opening match. Brad Armstrong versus one half of the American males. But, well, I'm going to allow this. Yes. So the match itself starts back and forth with both men hitting body slams and countering by kicking away their opponent. 
The fans are clearly behind Bagwell and are actually booing whenever Armstrong has any offense. This is, this is also another week that from the beginning you can tell that the fans are going to be really into the show. Yes. Which is just going to make for a better episode overall. A headlock takedown by Brad is quickly reversed into a head scissors by Bagwell. Armstrong kips out of the head scissors and now it's Marcus's turn with the headlock and manages to wrestle Brad back to the mat with another head scissors. Armstrong reverses into a head scissors of his own as we hit a commercial break. And when we return, it's Brad on the offensive with an armbar. Bagwell, clearly frustrated by his inability to uh, get any offense onto Armstrong, vents his frustrations by absolutely slapping the shit out of Brad Armstrong. Yes. Which the fans love. Yes. However, this only uh, angers Brad Armstrong, who hits a dropkick before clotheslining the American male out of the ring. And this is another one that they count as uh, momentum, so no disqualification is, sure. is called. Bagwell returns to the ring with a slingshot clothesline of his own. Next, it was Marcus's turn to clothesline Armstrong to the arena floor, again with the momentum, which is followed up by a crossbody block. Now, this crossbody block looks a little bit rough, and I think that Brad's bell might have been rung because it kind of hits against the, the, the floor hard. Sure. And... That you usually you could tell that if like Tony points it out too, because he said it looks like it was pretty rough on both of the guys. Yeah. The return of the ring, and the next minute of action is pretty much completely a miss as we return to shots of the giant, Ted DiGiassi, and Vincent in the crowd. Eventually the, the trio leaves, um, so the timing of them leaving is kind of weird because it's during the middle of a match, but whatever. <laughs> But we return to the ring to see Brad Armstrong hit a tornado DDT from the middle rope for a long two count. Bagwell rallies back and eventually hits a flying cross body block for the pinfall victory. So this was a pretty this is a pretty uh, standard back and forth match between two relatively high flyers. Yeah, you know, lots lots of head scissors, drop kicks, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I I thought that both guys looked pretty good. Um, all things considered, and it'll, it'll be interesting to see because like Bagwell has shown that he knows how to work the crowd. Yeah. Which is always a plus for a guy if he's looking at, like, becoming a singles wrestler. And he is doing it the whole time. The fans are into it. Every time he goes for the clapping, yeah. they are 100% into it. Um, so I felt like this was a really, really good showcase for Marcus Alexander Bagwell and for any p potential future he has as a singles wrestler. But um, other than that, like I said, I thought both guys looked pretty good. And um, it's a it was a really good way to get the – the show started, and also a huge plus in that the the fans are really into the show tonight. Yeah, uh, so I have a not a different read. Like I agree with everything you say, um, but just to add to it, what I sort of was getting out of the story of the match a little bit was that Bagwell was beginning to be a bit of a heel. Like okay. he when he had like a um, head scissors on, you know, on the mat. Like, he was returning to that a lot. He was doing, like, long rest holds that slowed the action down. Sure. He did the thing where he, like, slapped the shit out of him, which mm -hmm. is, like, a definite heel moment. And then sort of when he was like, oh, I did a heel thing, then he'd go back to the clapping to be like, no, I'm a, I'm a lovable baby face. You yeah. all love me. Um, so I was kind of picking on up on that in my notes here. It says, you know, Bagwell's being a bit of a heel, mm -hmm. which is all that it ever is. Uh, but then in a match that comes up later on the show, I think there's like a further development okay. in, in that story. So I think they're starting to do something yeah. um, with the American males and Bagwell in particular. And I think the very kind of birth of that is some very uh, legitimately, I, I think we talk about subtlety in wrestling. Usually it's something that's not very subtle. I think that the seeds that are planted in this match legitimately are quite subtle. Yeah. 
And, and I guess maybe I missed it because in the mid-90s wrestling, you'd expect those hints to be a lot more obvious. Sure, yeah. Like like Bagwell using the ropes or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. So, now, I mean, when you mention it, and I can kind of think of the little details like you're saying, it's like, oh, yeah, I, yeah. I remember those things. I just, I guess I, I tend to expect a little bit more, like, bigger hints sure, than yeah, that. Sure, yeah, yeah. But if, if, if they're going for subtlety, then, yeah, then they really nailed it, I think. We go to commercial hearing that Diamond Dallas Page is going to be up next, and we will find out uh, tonight about Piper versus Hogan. After a commercial, we come back, and Diamond Dallas Page's music plays, and out comes the man currently being scouted for membership in the NWO. At least we're led to believe that. And, right, or, yes. or the announcers have jumped to that conclusion sure. a lot. There hasn't really been anything from Page's side that suggests that he's like, Oh, yeah, I'm at least entertaining this. Yeah, we haven't seen anything from his side, but the NWO have sort of, I think, dropped. They've dropped enough where I think it's reasonable yeah. to speculate a little bit. Um, also, I wanted to kind of mention from the beginning, because it's just going to be over and over again during the show about yeah. this potential match of the decade yeah. sort of deal. I feel like that, <laughs> by the way they talk about it and hype it up, it would be pretty surprising if they don't get a deal with Piper, wouldn't you think? Yeah, yes, are, <laughs> it would be shocking. Aren't they suggesting very, very highly that this is going to happen one way or the other? Yeah, well, I think they're. I think that's going to play into the story. Um, we'll talk about it. Okay. Fuck yes. Next out is Ice Train. <laughs> Ice Train is my boy. Like, I absolutely <laughs> love Ice Train. Uh, he comes out with Teddy Long, and he has the most bizarre goddamn thing on his head. Yeah, it was like... <laughs> It was like like those uh, like track pants. Yeah, they just like wrapped around his head for some reason. Yeah, or it almost looks like a towel that was bedazzled. The only thing is, it doesn't move. It it's as if it was made out of like hard plastic. <laughs> so it's like a scarf that kind of goes around his head, like a giant crown almost. I don't. I tweeted a picture, um, and I actually tweeted it like ten or eleven days ago. So yeah. by the time you hear this, you'll have to look back in my tweets about two weeks. Uh, but it is. And the tweet is, it doesn't really, I mean, it shows you how crazy it is, but you almost need to see it in motion because you need to see that it doesn't move. Because if you just look at it in a still shot, yeah. you're like, oh, that's a towel or something. Yeah. But you need to see the fact that it's stiff. That's the weirdest goddamn part about it. <laughs> this is, it's even weirder than when he had that sliced up jean shirt with an attached uh, jean backpack on it. Yeah. Like this is even, I don't know where Ice Train finds his, <laughs> his clothes. They're bizarre. I I I think one of the the small pluses from the whole Nick Patrick deal, like the whole angle, is that it's gotten Ice Train onto TV more often. Sure. He so he's been a benefit to that degree in which he has yeah. at least been on Nitro pretty consistently. Uh, he uh, in an unfortunate downgrade, he has switched to pants. He was I think he looks much better in a singlet because um, yeah. he's like a thick dude. And in just the pants, it has the unfortunate tendency to make him look like kind of a fat dude in yeah. a way that a singlet a singlet makes him look like a big barrel-chested badass. Mm -hmm. uh, with just the pants, it's like a little bit of a tubby look, unfortunately. Yeah, it's like um, because the the way that they dressed him up was like the way they dress up Scott Norton. Exactly. Like, he yes. looks good in a singlet because his barrel chest is like, that's a strong man yes. physique. Yes. We see replays of the NWO cheering for Paige last week. Page gets in the ring and has some surreptitious words with Nick Patrick, angering Tony Schiavone. Patrick and Long also have some angry words before Long leaves the ring. The outsiders are in the stands, and Page and Train lock up. 
Ice Train overpowers Paige, and then rather than the match, we linger for a good long while on Hall and Ash just hanging out in the crowd, <laughs> holding their championship belts, doing nothing. Really not drawing attention to themselves, but receiving the attention anyway. <laughs> yes, certainly. <laughs> in the ring, Train powers out of a DDP full Nelson. Hall and Nash are shown leaving as Paige tricks Train into a chest of strength, then kicks him in the gut. They exchange wrist locks and strikes until Train levels Paige with an elbow. A stun gun from Paige sends Train to the mat, and DDP catches him with a top rope clothesline. Paige chokes Train on the ropes, and Shivani claims that Teddy Long is a role model for young people, and Larry can ask around to anyone to, if he needs more proof. I like that. I like that, like... If if I were pointing out a, a role model to my young son, I don't know. Not that there's anything wrong with Teddy Long. It's just like he just manages guys that lose. Like, how is he? Yeah. What is really a great role model of that? <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I thought that <laughs> it's like that, that Tony had that comment written down, but like for someone else. <laughs> yes. Because I, I don't remember anything Teddy Long's done that's like, oh, that's really inspirational. Like even Ice Train, who's a jobber, like at least he's like a, a professional athlete, you know, <laughs> like. Or, or that, like, even though if he's on the losing end, he still comes out with, like, a, a top effort every time. You yeah. Know? That's a more inspiring than Teddy Long complains and then his guy loses. Yeah. <laughs> Larry says that he doesn't talk to young people because he doesn't want to annoy himself. <laughs> that was a good Larry line. I really like that. <laughs> it's also fair enough. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> young people are annoying. That's true. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> I'm old enough to agree with that. <laughs> right. Paige telegraphs a back body drop, and Train hits a sunset flip, but they're too close to the rope, so Paige just grabs the bottom rope before even a one count is counted. Paige clotheslines Ice Train and applies an arrogant lazy pin for a two. DDP nails a pancake slam for a two, and then a swinging neckbreaker for two. Train's kickout tosses Paige onto Nick Patrick, who sells his back comically, like yeah. he is in agonizing pain from this lower back injury. Tony sarcastically says that someday they're going to need to bring Patrick down to a stretcher and then roll him into the ring to call a match. (laughs) And the weird thing is, is they're so committed to using Nick Patrick as a ref, I think they'd do it. I think he could be the first paralyzed ref, and they'd be like, what choice do we have? We have to have this guy calling matches. Yeah, he's got seniority. What can we say? He's paralyzed and clearly cheating, but (laughs) (laughs) he's got an ironclad contract. They should make a thing where he's like Ted Turner's nephew. And, and everyone would be like, oh, uh, okay. <laughs> that now it all makes sense. At this moment, Ice Train completely hulks up. Like, he doesn't do his own version of hulking up. He hulks up. Yeah. He does the shaking, the no-selling, the blocking of punches. Mm-hmm. It's like one, two, three out of Hogan's playbook. Uh, but then his big move is to push Paige into the ropes. <laughs> That's He hulks up, does like no-selling, and then just pushes him. Yeah. When Paige bounces back into him, he hits a vertical suplex. Train then leapfrogs Paige, which is pretty impressive as uh, Ice Train's a big boy and Paige is a tall dude. So that is that is not an easy leapfrog to hit. Yeah. Ice Train follows up with a very nice power slam for two. Paige stays on the ground and Train stands over him and then jumps way the fuck up in the air and hits a sit-out senton that was incredible. Did I you totally, see that? I, I totally missed it. <laughs> you got to look at my uh, Twitter then and like click on the media tab or whatever. You can see the stuff I've uploaded and oh. go back because I tweeted a gif of this. It's insane. Uh, we've talked before about Ice Train when he hit a splash about the num- the amount of air he can get mm-hmm. from just a standing position. This is he's not even running. He just stands at like Paige's head, 
jumps way up in the air and then lands with his ass on Paige. I don't know how Paige didn't have his chest caved in. It's not like um, it's not like Yokozuna's where you see that his feet are taking most of the impact. It's not like Earthquakes where you see that he's actually being very, very careful not to put like any weight on the guy. Yeah, he looks like he crushes the shit out of him, and the only way Paige like really manages to take any of the damages by doing that thing where you kind of cup your arms up on the sides that uh-huh. wrestlers do. Mm-hmm. That's like the only way that he he's alive today, yeah. I'm convinced. <laughs> the announcers uh, don't even mention this insane spectacle that we've just seen. Uh, they're they're talking about who knows what the fuck. I, I don't have it written in my notes. Something about Piper or Sting or... At best, they're talking about Nick Patrick. Like, at <laughs> right. best, that's at what they're best, focused yes. on. Train then gets huge air again on a standing splash and then goes for a pin. Patrick is slow to get down and count, and Paige kicks out at two. Train hits a flying clothesline and then follows up with another clothesline that sends Paige to the outside. Patrick goes to check on Paige, and Hall and Nash come in the ring and beat down Ice Train with their belts. Yeah, this is really weird. Like, it's very strange. Well, it it's like Scott Hall's approach is like to kind of whip him with yeah. his belt. It I I just. It's such a weird way to do it. I, I was thrown off. I'm like, what's what's he doing with this? Yeah, so pa- Patrick is on the outside working very hard to not see any of this, instead focusing on Teddy Long, who is, like, begging him to turn around. Right. Uh, Train, I think, goes into business for himself by no-selling the out- two giant men, beating him with belts, uh-huh. and he just no-sells all of it. He He completely ignores it. He basically just, like turns and doesn't look at them so they can keep hitting him but he doesn't sell any of it uh and then so eventually they just leave the ring so he's standing there angrily and then he kind of points at them and he's like yelling at them like that didn't hurt i'm fine come back and get yours or whatever uh-huh. and that distraction allows Paige to sneak back into the ring uh, behind him and hit of course the surprise diamond cutter mm-hmm. for the one two three uh I thought that was a fun match. Like, those are two guys I really like. I thought there were some weird choices, like Ice Train clearly just not wanting to sell for the Outsiders, which is a poor career choice for him. Well, I feel like that there was maybe some some weird, like, decisions made as far as the finish is concerned because the Outsiders interfere, but they still wanted Ice Train to be distracted. Yes, that's true. He did, for the finish to work, he has to be on his feet looking away. Yeah. So they can't beat him down too bad. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so you're right. Maybe it was just that it was, like, a poor decision and he didn't quite know how to sell it in a way well, where then he was standing. Because it sound, it's basically those, those are two types of ways that a, a third party can interfere, like, either in the ring directly or by distracting them. Yeah. And they decided to do both which is pr- probably just too confusing. Yeah. And especially for someone like Ice Train that doesn't that doesn't seem to be the most established veteran of the ring is like if it, it probably he was probably just trying to do what he was told and it just didn't work effectively. Yeah. Well, in any case, I liked the match. I thought it was a good TV match. Certainly um nothing I'm going to complain about. Shiv- yeah, yeah, I mean, I feel like we always I mean, I think Ice Train was really good, but also uh, I feel like every week that we have Diamond Dallas Page, no matter who's he, who he's facing, he manages to get an entertaining match out of them. Yeah, I think Page is a guy who we are seeing get better and better on a weekly basis. Yeah, and I, I think one reason is that he just knows how to effectively sell for pretty much everyone. Before we move on, uh, bring up Twitter and go to your direct message, your DMs. I'm sliding into your DMs. Okay. 
and I want you to just I want I need you to comment on this uh, gif of Ice Train hitting this uh, like senton. No idea how he's alive after this. Womp. <laughs> Look at that. He, there's no attempt on Ice Train's part to mitigate the damage that he would cause doing that quote unquote for real. You know what I mean? It is yeah. all incumbent on DDP to save his own life. Yeah. Womp. <laughs> I could watch that all day. Shivani calls <laughs> Shivani calls the finish a moment of incriminating evidence that Paige is going to the NWO, pointing out that the NWO has always attacked everyone. Uh, like, when they come out, they attack members of both teams, whatever. But here, they only attacked Ice Train. After that, we go to commercial with some more teasing of an announcement from Portland coming later in the show. We also find out that on Saturday night, we're going to see uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan versus Steven Regal. Uh, the Canadians, the amazing French Canadians yep. versus uh, the Harlem Heat. Tonight, we're going to get Scotty Riggs versus Dean Malenko. And then the winner of that match will face Rey Mysterio on Saturday night. And why the cruiserweight champion would need to beat a tag team specialist to face Rey Mysterio, the guy he won the belt from, mm -hmm. makes no sense. I I mean, knowing that Saturday Night's taped in advance, I just like the way that they played that off as far as, like, the winner will face him yeah. on Saturday <laughs> yeah. in this match that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> I also like the idea that Scotty Riggs would defeat the cruiserweight champion and uh -huh. his reward would be a match against a guy who's not the champion. Like, what good does that do him? He should, if he wins, if he beats Dean Malenko, his reward should be being the cruiserweight champion. Well, I thought I thought they were saying this is for the cruiserweight title because they they say before the match that Scotty Riggs barely made the weight. Oh, sure. That, so it is for the title, and so it, they're saying like the champions gonna defend against Rey Mysterio. It's just weird the way they phrase it in the promo. They're like the winner gets to face. They don't say the winner will be the champion and will face Rey Mysterio. Like the, they say, well, the, the winner gets is allowed. Right, it earns the reward of facing. Rey so they Mysterio. win the championship, but the more prestigious honor of a match <laughs> with Rey Mysterio, which Malenko's had like twenty of by this point. So he's like, maybe I'll just lose on purpose. <laughs> of course, that match has already been taped, and it's Dean Malenko versus Rey Mysterio. So right, uh, I guess they're just finding a, a weird way of like linking the show to Saturday night or something yeah. try to build interest just a little extra incentive to be like be interested in this match tonight because it, it has ramifications quote unquote out once again are the American males uh, as Scotty Riggs gets a bunch of sparky pyro and they do some posing and chatting on their way to the ring Shivani plugs World War 3 and says that the winner of the 60 man battle royal uh, will be the next one to get a title shot against Hollywood Hogan the cruiserweight champion Dean Malenko is out next and is on brand as he is all business. By the way, uh, I just want to say that throughout the show, I th I feel like that all the announcers do a great job of talking up World War Three. Yeah, and not only that, in, instead of having it being like, are the horsemen going to turn on each other, or, or pointing out just like one or two specific people, talking about like it could be anyone's opportunity. It could be for someone like Chris Jericho or Brad Armstrong could get that championship opportunity that they have not been able to get because of, you know, they're not in the title contention. Yeah. So they talk about it a lot during the show, and I feel like it's really, really effective. Yeah, I remember going back to last year that Heenan did a good job last year because last year it was for the title, and Heenan kept doing stuff like talking about how Eddie Guerrero could win that battle royal and be the champion and doing stuff mm -hmm. like that. And and not only that, but there was um, I think Tony mentions the Brad Armstrong. Like, what if Brad Armstrong wins? 
and and Larry Zbysko didn't just like shit on the idea right, right away. He was like, well, then he would have the biggest opportunity of his career, and he would have to do whatever he can to take advantage. And right. I was like, I was like, well, good for Larry for not like just going into business and just like talking about that being a terrible idea, you know. So I I I just in general I feel like they've done a, they do a really good job of talking about like anyone can win this battle royal. We see Dean. Uh as Dean makes his way to the ring, Shivani reminds us that he is scheduled to defend his cruiserweight title against Psychosis at the pay-per-view, assuming that he can get through Riggs and Rey Mysterio on Saturday, I guess. So so the winner of this match gets to face Mysterio, and the winner of that earns the opportunity <laughs> to face Psychosis. At the pay-per-view, yes. <laughs> I feel like that's how we should phrase it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's kind of how they do it, because the cruiserweight title seems to be on the line every time a cruiserweight... Anytime the champion is in a match, the belt's on the line. The yeah. tag team champions, uh, tag team championships as well. It's like there's never non-title matches for those belts specifically. Right. Malenko and Riggs lock up and do some of the standard opening cruiserweight chain wrestling. Larry does a great job talking about Riggs' fairly recent shoulder injury and how he had to train hard to drop some pounds to compete in a cruiserweight match. So it's kind of the, it's like the good stuff a sports announcer would talk about. He, mm-hmm. it's hard for him to train right now because he's coming off a shoulder injury, but he had to train really hard because we have a weight limit for this division. Right. Like great stuff. Good job, Larry. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing about his look that suggests he lost any weight. Yeah, since sure. We've seen him last, but still, just even suggesting he does is effective alone. It's also kind of funny because last week with Jim Powers, there was just, they didn't bother at all. <laughs> right. It was just like, yeah, this oh, is Jim Powers. He's in a cruiserweight not, title match. We're not kidding anyone here. <laughs> uh, we get all reversals in chain wrestling until eventually Riggs tries a backslide for two. Just when it seems like things are going to start going, we instead cut to Six, who is fucking around in the crowd. <laughs> oh, six. Dean knees Riggs in the gut and beats him into a corner as the NWO picket signs march through the crowd. Riggs misses a spear in the corner and hits his shoulder on the ring post. The injured shoulder, presumably. Mm. Dean goes to work on the shoulder. Dean clothesline Riggs in the corner and then gets an Irish whip. Dean charges Riggs, but Riggs lifts a boot to catch him, which I guess Dean wasn't expecting because Malenko just stops running. (laughs) Like, the thing that a human being would really do, right. but wrestlers, of course, can never do. Right. So he stops running, and then instead of playing this off like Dean has successfully scouted or predicted the move or whatever, uh-huh. Riggs puts his foot back down on the mat, then lifts it back up into the air, and then Malenko, from a full stop, runs straight into it on purpose. <laughs> it's, it's super goofy. <laughs> they both look like idiots. Pro wrestling, everyone. (laughs) It calls attention to the botch in just the worst way. It's very funny. Uh, Scotty then hits a back body drop and a drop kick. Malenko rolls to the outside, and Riggs catches him with a slingshot plancha. Malenko heads back into the ring, and Scotty follows him and gets a top rope double axe handle for two. Riggs goes to the top rope again, but Malenko hits the ropes, and Scotty falls to the outside. Bagwell, not very gently, grabs his tag team partner by the tights and the hair, and throws him back into the ring. Hmm. Dean ties up Malenko with an Oklahoma roll, and the American males argue as uh, Malenko secures the 1-2-3 victory. I shouldn't say as, after. They're not arguing (laughs) during the pinfall. I'd love to see that. (laughs) You asshole, look at what he's doing. (laughs) Try kicking out. I can't. It's over now. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, after the match, Bagwell tries to plead innocence, but Riggs is clearly not happy. 
Uh, we go to commercial and we kind of pan out and we see them hug in the background. So they've made up for now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is sort of what I was talking about earlier. There's some seeds planted with Bagwell doing some heelish things. Mm-hmm. And then there's this moment here where he fucks his partner over. He yeah. throws him back into the ring when Riggs clearly needed time on the outside to regroup. And he didn't do it gently at all. It like the way he did it almost looked like a full heel turn instead of like a uh, nod towards a future heel turn, as I think this actually is. Yeah. But, like, if he had just gone heel after the match, I don't think it would have been surprising, given the way that this kind of went. Sure. So, yeah, this is kind of what I was getting at earlier. It seems like they're starting to play some stuff where Bagwell is starting to go heel on babyface Scott Riggs. Mm-hmm. When we come back to the show, Shivani shows us replays of an injured Chris Benoit defeating an injured Eddie Guerrero last week on the show thanks to the interference of Mongo McMichael. Shivani says that Guerrero is unable to compete this week, but we have, quote, kind of a return match as Hector Guerrero, Eddie's older brother, is here to take on Benoit in his, in his stead. Hector comes out with a silvery sparkled cape and he looks... And I mean this with all due respect, mm-hmm. like a low-rent Eddie Guerrero. Yes. <laughs> he just looks like an older, melting yeah. Eddie Guerrero. He looks like if Eddie Guerrero was left in the oven too long. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, they're, they're like, legitimately, there are, there are, like, moments when you look at him, yeah. it's like, it looks like Eddie Guerrero. <laughs> it's so clear that they're brothers. Yes. Um, Hector just doesn't have the looks body type or charisma of his younger brother that's it (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but important thing that's not on that list is in ring ability because we'll we'll go over the match of course but i think hector is great in this match yes Uh, like he pleasantly surprised me because the only thing i knew about the guy previously was he's eddie's brother and he's the gobbledygooker those are the two things i know about hector guerrero right and another thing I learned about him is when he came out, I was like, oh, right, he's not Chavo Sr. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, Chavo Classic. Uh, uh, so I, I w- and also, I, I feel like it's just, it's mildly racist to suggest this is like a return match because it's any Guerrero will do. Okay, it's not racist, though. They're, they're brothers. They're not, he's not just like another Mexican guy. It's not like they sent out Super Colo and he was like, yeah. this is sort of the same thing. <laughs> right. But it's ridiculous. Sure, it is ridiculous to call it kind of a return match. That's right. That's laughable. Uh, by the way, I didn't, uh, when I was preparing for you coming over to record this episode, I was going through my notes, and I saw that I have a line here that just says, Hector Guerrero biography. Uh, so that's not something that I went in and did later, as I oh. apparently had been planning to do. Okay. He will only have, I want to say, three or four more matches that we'll ever see. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's got a couple of 97, um, maybe another one this year. Uh, so I will do a bio on him. It's just not going to be on his debut like I normally do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's, he's Eddie Guerrero's older brother. So if you go back to the episode where I did Eddie's uh, bio, mm-hmm. just imagine most of that. Just, with a few different details. Just do some copy to paste. Yeah. Uh, just add in the part where he was the gobbledygooker. <laughs> right. I mean, that's really the detail people are looking for anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because I mean, he would also still be Chavo's uncle. Yep. So yep. Most of it, most of it will fit anyway. Out next is the crippler, Chris Benoit, along with woman who is wearing what can only be described as a sexy parody of a tuxedo. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
Uh, she has great facial expressions as she walks down and gets into the ring. She looks yeah. at Hector with this like dismissive, just like, what are you even doing in the Crippler's ring? It's just like, <laughs> right. she's just uh, offended that he is bothered to show up for this match. <laughs> Larry and Tony are talking about injuries and surgery, and Larry says, I've been on the surgeon's table more often than filet mignon, which raises the question, where the fuck is this guy buying his meat? <laughs> or is he getting surgery somewhere where he's supposed to be actually ordering dinner? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What do you have, Mr. Zabisco? Uh, this tumor removed. And then they just go in the back. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> I got a cleaver. <laughs> I, I mean, that's, a one, that's one of those like uh, comments where it's like, I feel like I knew where he started with this, <laughs> but boy, did he not pull it off. Tony refers to a promo that Chris Benoit gave on Saturday night where Benoit addressed Kevin Sullivan and said, you're not the man you used to be. Shivani continues to play coy with the storyline, saying that they don't really know what Benoit was talking about. Uh-huh. So they know it's important enough to bring up here on Nitro, uh, even though they rarely reference like things from Saturday Night. Right. They knew it was important enough to bring up, but they have just no idea what he could be talking about. <laughs> we get an inset promo with Kevin Sullivan and Jimmy Hart. Sullivan has recently switched uh, to that alcoholic dad look that we've talked about in the last couple shows. Uh, but he is instead back here with the yellow and red robe and oh. hood. Oh, you said he was. When you were, you were saying that, I thought you were, I was like, what, his robe? No, no, I was saying like he had that creepy look that we yes. talked about in yep. the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. For some reason, he's back to the robe, which is a downgrade, honestly. Like, I liked the creepy um, wife beater, like full dress pants look that he had yeah. at the pay-per-view. I thought that was like an interesting turn for the character that makes sense in this uh, romantic love triangle storyline Yeah, that, like, doesn't play on his I'm a Satanist bullshit. Like, it mm-hmm. more plays on the real aspects of the man, so he was starting mm-hmm. to dress like just a regular person. Yeah. So now that he's back in the robe, I just thought it was fucking stupid. He looks like a goddamn dork. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also, that that's a sort of, like, detail that I feel like Kevin Sullivan could easily miss, too. Sure. When he's thinking about, like, these intricate things about this, like, uh, playing, playing the boys sort yeah, of deal, yeah, yeah. but he misses something where it's like, don't dress up like the Taskmaster anymore. Right, and I just think even if he wasn't doing the thing with Benoit, the Taskmaster character doesn't fit in anymore with what WCW is now. Mm-hmm. Like, the Dungeon of Doom has to go away, and he's really m- misreading the room by not realizing that. Yeah, but and, and also, the last couple of weeks, it seems like the Dungeon of Doom have kind of, like, just become, like, wrestlers are in a yeah. group called the dungeon to do yeah everyone dresses more regularly and he was dressing regularly so then this week of course he just kind of fucks that all up yeah wearing his bright yellow robe yeah they i don't mind the i like the dungeon as a faction i like all those guys i like them being grouped uh they just need like a rebranding and yeah. it seems like they started it and now they're just going back on it this week or at least this aspect is i guess we'll see how it goes in the future mm-hmm. anyway Jimmy Hart promises that at World War III, Benoit will learn what kind of man Sullivan really is. Then Taskmaster asks Benoit if he's getting information from the same place as Sullivan. I guess meaning woman, like she's still coming home and talking to Sullivan, but he also thinks she's probably cheating on him with Benoit. It's it's unclear. Sullivan asks Benoit if he's infatuated and then asks if he really wants that win, saying that he'll give it to him in Baltimore the easy way or the hard way. 
In a line that's very fun to imagine out of context, Sullivan says, quote, I'll see you up in the bathroom in Baltimore. Yes. Yep. It was like I knew what he meant because they had that match that we watched where they went up in the bathroom. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's very funny to not know what that meant and just, what the right. fuck? What is this guy talking about? Like, if you're someone that was really listening during this Nitro but didn't remember that match, <laughs> yeah. you'd be like, what on earth is he talking about? <laughs> well, for what happens in the ring in this one, let's send it over to our own Baltimore bathroom dweller, <laughs> right. Dave Amantorp. Yeah, so we get that split-screen promo with Kevin Sullivan and Jimmy Hart, and that is like, it, it'll be a trend that you'll see later on, too. They're like, yeah, why don't we start a promo right when the match starts? Yeah, they don't always have the best timing. I do like inset promos, though, because yeah. you're, you're getting a promo without... It, it can distract from action as long as you put it at the right place where, like, a guy's in a... You know, you tell the guy, like, okay, a minute into a match, slap on a rest hold, we're going to play a little promo. Mm-hmm. That way you're not distracting from anything big. And you're getting, I, I like it. I, I yeah. kind of think those are a lost art. They do them a little bit when they do the retro Raws now. Mm-hmm. But other than that, they're just not something you see anymore. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like when Benoit gets into the ring and still has to take off the vest and talk to woman and and the referee do all of his like pre-match stuff, then they should have it in there. But it seems like they're starting him right when the bell rings. Yeah, I agree. So I think. Or t- even in the in the Lex match later, it's before the bell rings. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I do like them, and I like them being added as, like, an element to the match itself. I just I feel like they could just adjust a little bit of the timing of when they start them up. But, no, I, I do like split-screen uh, split promos, um, especially since, as we'll see later on, there there are some wrestlers that benefit from that, a.k.a. having more than one take on their promos. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although, not to get ahead of myself, because I just don't even think it's in my notes. It's something that I noticed. Before you came over, I was grabbing the audio clips for this episode. And in the Luger one, uh, he's addressing Sting, and he says, he starts off by saying, I've left you a lot of calls. He means messages. Oh, yeah. It's just a funny, and I'm like, yeah, that was probably still the best take yeah. out of Luger. So the match itself begins with some less than smooth back and forth off the ropes, culminating in Hector hitting a couple of head scissors takedowns. The second one gets Benoit to scurry to the outside to regroup. So right away, if you're not someone that knows Hector Guerrero and you see him, you I don't feel like you're going to be very impressed with how he looks athletically. Sure. But he, like, right away is hitting some head scissors takedown. So I, I felt like it was a good way to kind of, like, introduce the fans of, like, oh, okay, this is the kind of wrestler he is. Yeah. They brawl outside the ring with Hector gaining the advantage by driving Benoit's injured shoulder into the ring post. Because there's one thing for sure, Guerreros know how to use like the injured part as part of their the injury the injury as part of their match storyline. Yes. Uh, back of the ring, Hector hits a pump handle backbreaker, and as you'll also see with Hector, there's going to be uh, like some unique moves you probably don't see every week on Nitro. Yeah. He continues his assault on Benoit's injured arm, applying an armbar as we head to a commercial break. Back from the break, and we see Benoit in full control of the contest, lifting Hector up for a suplex before dropping him onto the top rope. He continues to beat on Hector mercilessly, kicking and punching him before dropping him to his knees with a hard standing chop. He then applies an abdominal stretch, one that doesn't look great in execution, but Benoit is just dead determined to keep it applied no matter what. Benoit keeps his attack focused on Hector's ribs, although he gets surprised by a small package that nearly gets a three count. He returns the offensive with a short arm clothesline. 
we cut away from the action to celebrate the beginning of Hour 2 of Monday Nitro. As Bobby Heenan joins the broadcast booth with Tony this week, Hector begins to string together a series of roll-ups in small packages, but none of them get the victory. You know what's interesting, um, and I mentioned this because this is the transition to Hour 2, uh, this week, the crowd could somehow, it must have been on a screen somewhere. Yeah. They were counting down the yes. final 10 seconds, which I liked that. It, it really added like a lot of hype to the big, we're in hour two, here's a pyro, here's new announcers. Right. It was a very cool aspect, and I hope that's something that sticks around. It was fun. They exchange blows in the middle of the ring, and while the fans are distracted by something. Yeah, I could not figure that out either. It must have been a fight. Just assume it was a fight. Uh, Hector hits a Hector hits a head scissors takedown before placing the crippler onto the top turnbuckle. Hector then gets onto the mat, grabs the bottom rope, and pretty much gives Benoit an airplane ride. Yeah. Before kicking them back onto the mat. Overall, it was really silly, <laughs> but it was also one of those things where it was like, well, you don't see that every week. Yeah. The finish is all kinds of fucked up. Hector does a kiwi roll. And woman is supposed to rake uh, Hector's eyes to break it up, but the wrestlers are simply in no position for this work. As a result, woman gets approximately 98.5% into the ring in order to grab Hector by yeah, the hair. Yeah. This distracts Hector long enough for Benoit to schoolboy him. And then Benoit is not in the position to get uh, his foot on the ropes. Yeah. So he gets a three count before he even tries to get his foot on the <laughs> yes. ropes. Yes. And Mark Curtis clearly sees him get his feet on the ropes, too. <laughs> right. But he already got the three count anyway. Yeah. Um. So this match I thought was really interesting because I found uh, Hector to be a little bit unconventional yes. in the ring, which I thought was like a good thing and not a bad thing. And then the, the, the like the Kiwi roll. I that was, was bizarre. Uh, I didn't know what that's what it was called. I wrote down, because here's what I have. I have the airplane thing. I said, a spot I've never seen before. Benoit's laying across the top rope, and Hector lies below him, kicking him in the stomach. Someone should steal this. And then my next note is, Hector does this weird roll around the ring. Nobody should steal that. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and whenever it's like a new move like that, and the the... Um, announcers call it something like yeah. they called it the Kiwi roll. Oh, he did. I missed that. Okay. Yeah, and I was like, I'm gonna double check to make sure that's right. Yeah. Because I, I, I always I make the assumption the announcers have made up a name. Sure. And I want to make sure I'm not just like going along with them. But that is what it's called. It's a Kiwi roll. Okay. Well, in that case, Jay White should should steal it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus, like, he looks like an idiot already. <laughs> I hate Jay White. I, I don't need to go into it now. I'd like WCW retrospective podcast. <laughs> right. Um, the other thing that this is, uh, and and I thought Hector was really good. I don't mean to distract. It was just a funny moment from the beginning. Hector gets a uh, back body dropped, and he over rotates and lands on his feet. But he was like supposed to sell the move. Yeah. So he lands on his feet and then like takes a back a back bump just on his own. Yeah. It was very funny. Yeah. That that's like. <laughs> You see someone like Hector, you don't expect like his disadvantages. He's too athletic. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I said, uh, overall, I like the match. Um, yeah. I thought it was, like I said, it was unique. I think Hector is uh, unique in the ring. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing him again. Uh, maybe not like on a week to week basis, but like having more appearances by him would be very interesting. And um, I, the two did not have great chemistry. But uh, I think that's just because, like, they – I don't know if they face each other. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure they faced each other before in the ring. But it's a good maybe, question. I have maybe, no idea. 
maybe not in a long time, but um, and and the finish was just that's something where it's like your timing and your position in the ring has to be perfect for it to work. Sure. So maybe it was something that was a little bit too intricate. Yeah. Um, but overall, I really, I just like, I just enjoyed the match. So, the giant is standing in the crowd with the U.S. Championship belt. We see last week when Jarrett beat Ricky Morton and the Giant cut a promo on him. We then go to Mike Tanay, who is standing in the aisle with Jeff Jarrett, Chris Benoit, Woman, Steve Mamo, Steve Mongo McMichael. I almost called him Steve Mambo McMichael. Steve, <laughs> Steve Mambo number five McMichael. I thought you were going to call him Steve Mama McMichael. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, Deborah. Thanks very much, Tony. Jeff Jarrett, it's become quite obvious the serious injuries to the Nature Boy Ric Flair and Arn Anderson that as we head into World War III, the four horsemen are at far less than 100% strength. Well, you're talking to the lead horse, and the old saying goes, we may be down, but we're not out because I've watched those guys' career from afar, and I know one thing, when they get together, the NWO will go down. Let me tell you the way it is, Mike. Any business pertaining to the horseman shall be dealt with accordingly by a horseman. Listen, listen. In the age of free agency, I don't understand how somebody can just walk through a door and sit his butt down in the seat and say, this is my house, mister. I got my foot in the door, Jared. You listen to me, boy. And another thing, baby, you see that shirt zipper head? It says four horsemen. And Chris and myself will be keeping vigilant, baby, until those two old horsemen, Arn Anderson and Ric Flair, who are tougher than boot leather, oh, yes, they will be back. And then they'll be held to pay from the horsemen, baby. And as far as I'm concerned, Chris and woman, this four horsemen interview is over. Jeff Jarrett. I know one of the things that concerns you is the fact that no one in World Championship Wrestling has stepped up and taken that leadership role against the NWO. That's exactly right. As I was saying, Mike, you want to talk about leadership. You want to talk about WCW versus NWO. You want to talk about WCW winning the war. Well, in order for that to happen, WCW, like I said two weeks ago, has to unite. That's right, the four horsemen in the Dungeon of Doom gotta put their things aside, clear things up. Luger and Anderson, Look put your this. personal business aside. Nasty boys, all I got to say to you two fat doughboys is, actions speak louder than words. And Piper, that's right, you gotta wipe, wipe that Hollywood makeup off your face and get in the ring and see if you still got it, because I've got it. Because Ric Flair said I had it, he said I could walk the walk and talk the talk. When I get the gun, I shoot a bullseye every time. Don't wrap me up, pal. When I get the ball, I score a touchdown every time. When I say I'm going to do something, I do it every time. You can't say that about Sting. No, he's walking around in some catwalk. He's not even in the game. The last time he's in the game, he fumbled the ball. But he's he walked listening. out at fall brawl. He turned his back on the people that's right, he turned his back on the people that made him, and that's WCW. So you can X his name off the list, but you can't say that about Flair, because he may get on his horse again. The big white stallion rides Space Mountain one more time and lead us to victory. It may be Piper. I may have to do it, but one way or another, Hogan, you and the rest of your NWO flunkies are going down. That ain't no threat. That's a promise. 
Strong words from Jeff Jarrett, Tony Schiavone. Things look unsettled in the Four Horsemen camp. You're right, Mike, and Jeff Jarrett says... Tanae asked Jeff Jarrett about the Horsemen being less than 100% going into World War III. Jarrett claims to be the lead horse, and as the old saying goes, we may be down, but we're not out. He continues a bit, but is quickly interrupted by Benoit and Michael, with Benoit telling Tanae that any business pertaining to the Horsemen will be dealt with by the Horsemen. Mongo says this is the age of free agency, but he doesn't understand how someone can just walk in the door and claim a spot as theirs, addressing Jarrett pretty much directly. Mm -hmm. Mongo says there's four horsemen, and he and Benoit will be keeping an eye on things until Arn and Flair are healthy and return, and then there will be hell to pay for the NWO and Lex Luthor. <laughs> Lex Luger. Oh, Luthor. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. Mongo ends the interview, but Jeff Jarrett stays there with Tanae. He pretty much got punked out completely by those guys and is still just like, ha ha, all right, see you later, boys. We're all friends. We're going to be at the bar. They like me. <laughs> oh, those guys. Yeah, they were <laughs> they were talking shit, but that's just what we do in the horsemen, which I'm in. Yeah. I'm one of the horsemen, and they are too, and that's how we talk to each other yeah. as horsemen. Later on, we're going to have drinks. We're all going to be laughing about this. Oh, all right, see you at the clubhouse, guys. <laughs> and they look back, and he's like, pretends he wasn't talking to them. Um, the only note I had was that at some point... Mongo called Mike Tanay a zipperhead. Yes, that was cool. I like that. <laughs> Wait, I don't remember the context. It was something where it's like maybe just a lame zipperhead like Tanay won't understand what it's like to be the horseman. But he just like threw it out so yeah. casually. I'm like, <laughs> I feel like I need to know more more about what a zipperhead is. Uh, I there was a guy who called me a ziphead one time. Uh, we were walking our we were all on bikes walking our uh, dog. In, this is in our old neighborhood, our old house. Mm -hmm. And uh, a guy ran out. He had, like, all this yard stuff, and he had, like, signs about, like, no pets or whatever. And he ran out and started, like, saying that his cameras were pointing at us and, like, oh, your family's so lovely on my camp. Like, trying to intimidate us oh. because our dog had, like, stepped on his grass. Yeah. And I was like, I, he said something like, who, who do you think owns this land? And I said, well, up to, like, five feet is the boulevard, so it's owned by the city. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, well, then why don't you go home and play some, pay some taxes, ziphead? <laughs> and because I didn't want this crazy man to know where I lived, I didn't say, like, well, I live a few blocks down and I do own a house and I do pay the taxes, right. which include your fucking boulevard where my dog walks. <laughs> right. Instead, I just said that every time I walked by, I was going to make sure that my dog went on his lawn from now on. <laughs> and uh, I generally did that from as long as we lived in that neighborhood. And if my dog went somewhere else, I would bring it with me and deposit it on his lawn. Nice. No one calls me a zip head. <laughs> Today right. should have done that to Mongo. See how that worked out. <laughs> That sounds like one of those things where it's like that neighbor probably thinks he's so smart and believes he owns like all of that. Yeah. Doesn't realize that there is like the like the city part of it. Uh, just yeah. It just pissed me because if you would just have said, hey, I'm really proud of my lawn. If you walk by, could you not have your dog go on my lawn? I've been like, of course. Yeah. No problem. I'll walk on the other side of the street. Right. But when like you come out yelling that you're filming my children on your camera. Right. Fuck off, dude. I'm not going <laughs> to. Who is going to respond well to that? <laughs> right. <laughs> and you're and you're like, do you realize how passive aggressive I can be about this sort of thing? I, the rest of yeah. my time here is I'll be dedicated to. I, I grew up Irish Catholic in Minnesota. <laughs> There's no end to my passive aggressiveness. <laughs> right. 
Asked about a lack of uh, WCW leadership, Jarrett says the much is the same as he said two weeks ago, that WCW has to unite. Meanwhile, we see Sting standing in the upper deck. Jarrett says the Dungeon of Doom and the Horsemen have to get over their differences, then says that all he wants to say to those two fat doughboys, the nasty boys, is that actions speak much louder, is that their actions speak much louder than their words. Jarrett then uh, says... Okay. <laughs> Jared then says that Piper needs to wash the Hollywood makeup off his face and see if he still has it in the ring. Jared says that Flair said that he, meaning Jared, has it, and then goes on some kind of extended metaphor about how he always throws touchdowns. <laughs> I, I just noticed that the fans were, were audibly booing whenever he was talking. And I think, uh, and, and we saw this a little bit last week, I think he's he's going for that on purpose now. I think like yeah. he's doing an ostensible babyface thing but he's doing it in a way that is designed to get him over as a heel over time. Mm -hmm. He talks some shit about Sting again, so we once more cut to Sting. Jarrett then threatens the NWO, and we finally go to a commercial. Like, halfway through that, he was yelling at a producer for trying to wrap him up, like, off-screen, <laughs> do, like, the wrap-up thing, because he yeah. says something like, don't try to wrap me up. <laughs> just openly, like, nope, I'm just going to keep doing this promo. Even though this, like, this whole promo thing was only, like, five or six minutes or something yeah. like that. It was still way too long. Yeah, uh, I have in my notes, it was not a great promo, very rambly, and Jarrett sometimes stumbles over his words, which we've seen before, but it was kind of especially bad here. Uh, you know, I'd been saying over the few weeks since he's been in that I'm not a Jarrett fan, but I think he's been doing really well. Mm -hmm. This was the first week where I was like, oh boy, like, fuck off, dude. <laughs> You're not, he's just not doing a great job at this point. I don't know what it is. Yeah. It might be, that he's being an effective heel, but unfortunately for me, when Jarrett's an effective heel, it makes me not want to see Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> Jarrett, oh, by by the way, Jarrett, uh, the reason for this uh, interview uh, and no match is that he's actually injured. Uh, he rolled his ankle uh, on a match that aired on this past episode of Saturday Night against John Tenta. It's not oh. a serious injury, but he's out for a while. And the reason they're not even mentioning is is there is so many real and worked injuries right now that it <laughs> would just be like one more on the pile. Really. Right, yeah. <laughs> we go to commercial, and when we come back, the announcers talk about Sting and what made him turn away from WCW into this brooding man that he's become. <laughs> then we check in with Lee Marshall, who is in St. Petersburg, Florida, where Nitro will be next week. He once again says that he's at a Nitro party. Vaguely Asian music plays, and out comes the first competitor in the WCW Women's Title Tournament, Reina Jibuki, who is actually a masked Akira Hokuto, who will be doing double duty in the tournament. So she'll be in it both as herself and as this character that she has done uh, in Mexico. So it's not, mm -hmm. it's at least not something they invented for this. It is a persona she's adopted before. It's not like, what was Billy Kidman? Uh, El Technico. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> in his like red sweatpants. And and I think um in this short little in this short little part here, Reina Jibuki was a Jibuki? Jibuki. Uh, she is now like the current king of Nitro when it comes to like in ring outfits. Sure. It's pretty great. It is amazing. It's a cool mask, yeah. Uh we last saw Hokuto uh or Hokuto, I think it's Hokuto, I apologize, or Hokutu. I I'm just I feel bad that I don't know, uh, so please forgive me, people that do know how I'm fucking it up. We saw her last about a year ago when she was part of uh, the two all-Japanese women tag matches 
that happened uh, actually was like exactly a year ago. It was on World War Three. Yeah. And then on the Nitro the night after. Uh, the 13th episode, is according to my notes. Um, Did you have any more notes about her? No, I did her. Well, I'd say this gimmick she did in Mexico. Tanae talks about a bit of her success there with CMLL. I believe she was a champion, uh, the women's champion of CMLL. Um, well, one thing I, I, I just thought was interesting is that Tanae keeps going about her history, and it's clearly the history that's of Akira Hokutu. Oh, sure. Which is just because she's in the tournament later on. <laughs> yeah. Which I thought that they might try to avoid, but yeah. they probably really don't care. Um, but they mention. Uh, he mentions the fact that uh, she is the CMLL World Women's Champion, which she won on July 30th, 1994, and is still continuing to be champion. Yeah. However, she's going to be stripped of it as of this day because uh, I think that she is now technically a WCW person with uh, their agreement with uh, Gaia Japan. Yeah. Uh, she, she from what I gathered reading the dirt sheets, um, doing my stuff for observe this and all that is she was uh married to a mexican wrestler uh for a while after she had like done a trip there and and done the whole uh, reina jibuki gimmick mm -hmm. she actually really liked it she fell in love with the guy got married they got divorced she left mexico as champion and like never really intended on returning so yeah. eventually yeah they they uh Strip her of the title. Yeah. So I, I just thought it was kind of interesting that Tanae mentions that she's still champion, and it's pretty much with her appearance on this Nitro that they yeah. finally strip her of the belt. So Out next is her opponent, Medusa. Uh, we have not seen Medusa in a little over two months, ever since she defeated Bull Nakano at Clash of the Champions back in August. The, 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 one, the thing I found interesting about her music is, like, the very first, like, like, like part of it. Yeah. It right away sounds like the beginning of Becky Lynch's music. Oh, sure. Um, I can't think of Medusa's music, but I know Becky Lynch's music. Tony expresses concern about the championship committee allowing Nick Patrick to ref this match as Jabuki attacks Medusa prior to the bell. Jabuki slaps on a side headlock before taking Medusa to the mat and choking her with a boot to the throat. Medusa gets to the ropes and has to point to them to make Patrick notice and break the hold. <laughs> Jabuki picks up Medusa and chokes her, then drops her onto the mat and chokes her some more with her shin. Medusa kicks her in the back, and Jabuki stops biting Medusa's fingers long enough to bite her toes instead. <laughs> Out walks a woman we've never seen before in the history of WCW. You know who this is, says Mike Tanay. <laughs> Motherfucker, no I do not. <laughs> It's your job to tell me who this is, announcer. <laughs> <laughs> Shivani, reading the woman's vest, says that it's Zero. <laughs> uh, Tanae says that Zero is one of the most famous women wrestlers in the world, uh, another Japanese star. It's especially funny saying that we know who she is, uh, as definitely only a few fans will know who the fuck she is. Right. But it's even funnier because those that do know her will know her as Chigusa Nageo, uh, a former member of the Crush Girls. This is literally the first time that she has ever appeared as Zero. <laughs> so even if you know who she is, even if you're someone who in 1996 is tape trading right. to, get, to get Joshi wrestling from Japan, yeah. you've never seen her in this gimmick before. <laughs> and, then, and this is where, for me, 
this whole tournament goes <laughs> off the rails. Yeah. Because, so, it's like, Zero is scouting Medusa with the idea that, like, well, Medusa has to win this match first. Yeah. And then Zero has to win her match first. Right. And her match is with Akira Okutun, <laughs> who may or may not be in the match against yeah. Medusa at that very moment. Um, are you sure? Because I, I almost, I think that Zero's first match is against Malia Hosaka. Well, I was pretty, well, maybe you're right. I don't remember. Yeah. Um, she was the one that she is the one that wrestled in July, right? Yeah, we've seen her on Nitro a few times. Like yeah. when when Medusa was getting ready for the match with Bolnakano, Sunny Ono brought out Malia Hosaka for her to face. So if instead of having Zero show up and being like, you know who this is, if Malia Hosaka showed up and had previously been on Nitro, yeah. that would have made sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But instead it's her opponent who's never gone by that name before and even like the most like in the know Japanese like wrestling fan yeah. would not know who that is. I mean, maybe she's just physically you recognize her even if she's wearing a different gimmick. You know what I mean? Like you're like, right. oh, I know who that is, even if I don't know why she's going by zero now. Um, but yeah, it's it's absurd to say that we, we <laughs> right. all know who that is. Uh, now, Dave Meltzer, I don't know if this is just him bullshitting or if like he makes the connection uh, between zero and the Zero Fighters, which is the type of plane that was flown in the attack on Pearl Harbor. And he's like, this is like a racist gimmick. And certainly Sonny Ono uh, has come across as a racist gimmick a number yeah. of times. I don't know if there's anything to that. I will say that uh, Chigusa wrestles as Lady Zero once she's back in Japan, where that wouldn't really be an effective... It wouldn't mean the same as like, yeah. Look, you Americans, I'm insulting Pearl Harbor. So I think it could just be a coincidence, but it is kind of worth noting, I guess. I I feel like that's quite a stretch. I mean, especially if it was like if it was an American idea. Sure. Like her outfit would have airplanes on it. Yeah, that's probably true. If they were going for that, they would have been a lot more blatant about it. Right. Instead of like, I mean, zero seems like kind of uh, like. It's cool because it's ambiguous, yeah. Sort of name, not not like I I agree. We're mildly trying to suggest that she's named after the po- fighter pilots that caused Pearl Harbor. <laughs> that, Med- that's that's Dave Meltzer yeah. having too much time on his hands. Sure. <laughs> Medusa takes Raina down with a reverse bulldog, and then another, and then another. <laughs> Medusa gets a two count, and Sunny Ono is with Zero and talks some shit about Medusa to the camera, saying that she's full of peroxide and plastic. Tony says that Zero will face Malia Hosaka in the first round with the winner facing the winner with the winner of that match facing the winner of the match that we're watching right now. I mean, I got the plastic part. Yeah. But peroxide? Her hair, it's like a way of bleaching your hair blonde. Oh, okay. The racist stereotype was being a misogynist. <laughs> Fair enough. Reyna is in control back in the ring, uh, and she goes to the top rope, but Medusa does the handstand into the corner where you pull your opponent down that Trish Stratus used to do all the time. Yeah, except Trish Stratus could pull it off. Yeah, it doesn't look nearly as crisp here. Yeah. Medusa tries for a second rope draw kick that Jibuki avoids. Jibuki goes for a belly-to-belly suplex into a bridging pin for a two. Jibuki hits a top rope draw kick for another two. Jibuki then goes for a body slam, but Medusa reverses into her own finisher, the German suplex, holding on for the 1-2-3. Medusa will advance in the Women's Championship Tournament. What a surprise. 
Zero and Medusa stare each other down as we see replays. Bobby the Brain tells us what he thinks of women's wrestling by saying that the last time he saw moves like that was the last Bloomingdale sale, where two women were fighting over pillowcases. Yes. Heenan, I love you, but not good. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't know. It, I feel like every time I see Medusa, I'm like, clearly it was never about like her in-ring ability. I think she's decent for the time. I, I think, like, and I say for the time in America. In America, right. Yeah. I don't think it helps that they always pair her off against people that are not Americans, that have a lot more ability than she does. Well, I think the problem is, who does she get to practice with? She has matches a few times a month against, like, yeah. women that suck. You know, Malia, like, who is full-time in America? It, like, Malia Hosaka is, like, one of the very few people they have employed. She's not nearly as good as Medusa. So how can Medusa get better when she doesn't have better opponents to face? Yes. Uh, so I, it's not that I disagree with you. I, I think you're right. It's just I don't blame her because, like, how can she get no. better given what she's doing? It's not her fault. And from what I can tell, I mean, I would have to go back and look, but I'm pretty sure they're not getting her much house show or secondary show. Like, when you see her on Nitro, that's the the majority of what she's getting in yeah. the ring from WCW. Yeah, it's not like she's all over the syndicated show. She definitely pops up now and then, mm -hmm. but it's not like we're missing a ton of Medusa matches. After a commercial, out comes M. Wall Street to booze from the Michigan crowd. His opponent is that up-and-coming young athlete, Chris Jericho. <laughs> athlete. The ref is Mark Curtis, and Jericho doesn't have Teddy Long, so we might be okay for this one. Uh, Wall Street keeps his pants on over a singlet. That's new. Yeah, that was a that was an interesting choice. I mean, it's a lot better than having him pulling at his tights the whole time. So there's a plus to it. He it is, but he pulls at his belt the whole time. He's constantly adjusting <laughs> his pants. I I've never liked when a guy wrestles in dress pants. Like uh, Corbin did it. Jack Gallagher did it. It's just like I've never I've never seen it and thought it was cool. Um by the way, at this point since Medusa cuz Medusa was had been signed for let's say about 11 months. Yeah, that sounds right. She along with like any sort of match, house show, pro, anything like that, she's had maybe 20 matches with WCW since she's been there. So, she doesn't and there are a good handful of them that were just with Colonel Robert Parker. Right. Yes. Which is or, not, sh or Sensational Sherry. Right. Which is like they they had that one match on Nitro against Sherry, and they're like, Sherry, we are not trusting you yeah. in the ring with anyone else again. Yeah. Oh, she jobbed to Sherry too. And Parker. God damn it. Yeah. So I I agree. They're they are not giving her the opportunity to like get any sort of experience or really, like, any time wrestling with anyone else. Yeah. So it it is totally... I mean, I, I know we said it from the time that she debuted. It was it was for that Nitro right. that she debuted. And everything else has been like, we got to put something together. And and I know this this world women's title, um, it's mainly for this uh, partnership with Gaia Japan. So it, it's not even directly associated with yeah. Medusa. So... It's a it's a whole lot of like using Medusa whenever we have any idea of what to do. Right. Which most of the time they did not. Wall Street and Jericho lock up and Wall Street works Jericho's arm. 
Jericho reverses and hits a suplex into a wrist lock, and he now works Wall Street's arm. Wall Street gets to his feet and punches his way back into control. Jericho comes back with a crossbody, a hip toss, and a jumping heel kick for two. He slaps on a side headlock for a little bit of a rest. Wall Street fights to his feet, and after some rope running, he throws Jericho to the outside. Shivani talks about Jericho's problems with Nick Patrick and Patrick's lawyer, Alan Sharp, referring to him as a shyster. And I honestly don't think he even thought about the fact that the former Irwin R. Shyster is currently in the ring. Yes, but I picked up on it. <laughs> <laughs> Wall Street pulls Jericho to the apron and beats on him a bit. Jericho comes back into the ring f- with a sunset flip for two. Wall Street slaps on an abdominal stretch while Bobby says that they call Jericho Lionheart because of his mangy mane of hair. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. By, by the way, I guess I didn't catch it. Are they calling him VK Wall Street again? No, they're calling him M Wall Street. It's M Wall Street. Yeah. Okay. Wall Street breaks the hold when Mark Curtis catches him holding onto the ropes for that dreaded leverage. Mm. Wall Street applies a chin lock that Jericho eventually escapes with a jawbreaker. Jericho takes control with punches and a stun gun. He goes to the top rope and hits a missile drop kick that sends M to the outside. Jericho joins him and Wall Street pulls and Wall Street pulls him by the tights so that Jericho hits his head on the ring post. Wall Street rolls him back in, but Jericho surprises him with a small package for the one, two, three. Uh, Jericho not only getting the shitty um, up-and-coming young athlete gimmick, but yeah. getting the, like, we want to push this baby face, but God forbid we let him win strong. Right. So he's got to get fucking surprise victories over M. Wall Street with a roll-up. Yeah. Hate this kind of booking. I absolutely hate it. Poor guy. And I mean, not only that, but like, I felt like he already got those kind of victories because right. he's been around for a few months and has faced a few people. Yeah. Like um, Alex Wright and all that. So you would think that he, because I know at some point Tony talked about like how he's been kind of moving his way up a little bit. As far as like getting victories, right? So you think that he could have a little bit more straightforward wins at some point? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I thought the match wasn't terrible; it was just fine. It was it was your typical Wall Street match when he's in there with someone who can work, so that it's not just it's not uh, Duggan where mm. the whole thing is garbage. Like yeah. it was fine. Yeah, I I generally I was just distracted by the fact that he was wearing pants. <laughs> sure. So that kind of affected my whole opinion of the match. We go to the aisle where Tanae stands by with Nick Patrick and Alan Sharp. Thank you very much, Tony. The center of controversy in world championship wrestling remains senior official Nick Patrick and Mr. Patrick. Mr. Patrick, we need to learn anything from last week there, Mr. Tanae. You talk to me. I'm the legal counsel, okay? Listen here. Everybody here and everybody at home knows it. Nick Patrick, there is nothing wrong with your neck! He's not a doctor. And on top of that, you are a paid employee of the NWO, and we all know that too! He puts a mask on on Saturdays. Referees are matches. Mr. Sharp? You don't know that. Mr. Jericho, your wall does appear to be tumbling down. Is it not true, Mr. Jericho, that your father was an NHL hockey goon. Is that not true, Mr. Jericho? We won't go there. This has nothing to do with my father. This is between you, you, and me, and everybody else here. I went, Tanae, I went to a fight the other day and a hockey game broke out. 
I've got one thing to say right now. Everybody saw earlier what the outsiders did to Ice Train. They beat him in the back of the head with those belts. You stood there, you did nothing about it. Then Dallas Payne took advantage of it by catching him with the diamond cutter. He may be back there right now needing medical attention. Nick Patrick, not only are you a player hater, but you are with the NWO. I know it, your attorney knows it, and this young man on his way to becoming another superstar, you become a thorn in his side. I know it, Patrick. Wow, look at that. Long, of all the people to be talking about character, should it be you, Teddy Long? Because if I am correct, a few years ago, you were a referee that was suspended in WCW what? for some infractions. What do you have to say about that, Teddy Long? I, 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 we're not talking I, I, about past mistakes here. Everybody has mistakes in their past. What we are talking about is the present, the here and now, and mistake Nick Patrick. What you're doing is not a mistake. It's a premeditated plan against everybody in WCW. And I think that says it all. Tony, take it away. Now, wouldn't you know the so they ask the question, but Sharp says that all questions for Patrick should be directed to him instead. Jericho shows up out of breath from his match and says that everybody knows that Nick Patrick is faking his neck injury and also that he's being paid by the NWO. Sharp asks Jericho if it's true that his father was an NHL hockey goon. Jericho deflects and Teddy Long wanders down to the ramp. Sharp says, God damn it. Sharp says he went to a fight the other day and a hockey game broke out. Yeah, so. Like, he just wants to be a stand up now? Like, what the. What kind of shitty lawyering is this? It's like he got no. He didn't get any, like, notes from the last time he was there. And it was like, don't go into business for yourself, please, because. You're the secondary to the referee. Yeah. Like, I, I, I just feel like that there's a lot of Alan Sharp talking that is only helping him out, not really advancing anything. Yeah, and his just, like, shitty dad jokes. It's just like, what what a weird addition to this character that now he's a jokester. Like, what the what are we doing? Right. <laughs> that That's the right, that, <laughs> you're asking the right question now. What are we doing here? <laughs> Long shoves his way past Jericho, <laughs> making the wrestler who's actually at the center of this angle a total afterthought uh, to, to get on Mike and say that everybody saw the Outsiders beat up Ice Train while Nick Patrick did nothing. Teddy Long says, <laughs> Teddy Long says of Ice Train, quote, he may be back there right now needing medical attention. <laughs> You're his fucking manager, dude. If you think he might need medical attention. Yeah. Go get him some. <laughs> right. <laughs> he might, like, who knows? After the match, I don't talk to these guys. <laughs> right. See you next week, champ. <laughs> I'm off. It's crazy. Teddy Long then uh, accuses Patrick of being a player hater and of being in with the NWO. We see DiBiase and Vincent looking on from the crowd. Sharp uh, points out something that we mentioned on this show that I'm glad that they finally brought into the, they mentioned some continuity here. Sharp points out that Long himself used to be a WCW ref who was suspended for various infractions. Mm -hmm. uh, we talked about that before, how ironic it is that they're having Long be the guy yeah. when they did this same angle with Long in the past. Yeah. Long has no response. The problem with bringing it up is that no one had prepared Teddy Long with like how to respond to that. So he just says nothing because he's like, yeah, he's oh, that's a good point. He stutters. 
Yeah, he's trying yeah. to think of something. He stutters, and then he gets interrupted, so he doesn't even get a response. Yeah, and Heenan makes fun of him for the stuttering. <laughs> uh, Jericho says that we're not here to talk about past mistakes, but in the present, Nick Patrick isn't making mistakes, but instead executing a premeditated plan against WCW. That was a really good recovery for, yes. from Jericho. It was. Re- you're absolutely right. Jericho saved the end of that segment. Yep. Uh, we go to commercial. And when we come back, it's time for a rematch between Lex Luger and Booker T to make up for last week's count-out finish, which happened when Lex ditched the match to chase after Sting. (laughs) We see replays of those events, and Booker makes his way to the ring, accompanied by Sherry, but not Colonel Parker or Stevie Ray. (laughs) Last week's match, I just just remember when you were going into detail as far as, like, Luger's supposed to be putting him into the rack, (laughs) but he keeps looking... You know, like how the timing was so yeah. terrible. And and it's just like, hey, remember that match with that really weird ending? Do you want another one of those? <laughs> <laughs> Flexi Lexi is out next with much pyro and high-fiving. As the two men prepare to get underway, we get an inset promo featuring Luger. Stinger, I have no idea where you're coming from these days. I've left calls, messages, all unanswered. I even chased after you through crowds at Nitro. But I gotta hope and pray that these bogus overtures made by the NWO are falling on those same deaf ears. Stinger, if you can hang out in the rafters, you gotta have just one minute, just one minute of your time. I'm gonna sit down with you face to face. That's all I ask. Luger addresses Sting, saying he, he keeps calling and leaving messages. But he never hears back, and he hopes that the overtures by the NWO are also falling on the same deaf ears. Mm-hmm. He begs Sting for just a minute of his time. And uh, here to call all the action of the match is our own dark and brooding Dave Amantorp. Well, I thought that was a good promo by Luger. It like, wasn't bad, yeah. Yeah, I mean, on Luger's standards. Yeah. Like, he he made, <laughs> he just, he made analogies that made sense. I, I that's a small victory for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I, I just like the idea that, like, you know, I've been trying to talk to you. You're not talking to me. I just hope that that when the NWO does the same, you're not talking to them. I thought that that was like a good comparison. Yeah, um, so I agree. For for Luger, I was like, that was a good promo. Anyway, so that this is what I was saying earlier. So like, pretty much the first minute of the match we miss out on because of Luger promo because there's no way I'm not going to pay attention to a Luger promo even if there's a match going on. So I miss like the whole first minute of the match. Yeah. By the time we leave the promo, Luger has knocked Booker T down with a shoulder tackle. The two men counter each other's moves until Luger drops Booker T with a vertical suplex. The crowd is a thousand percent into this match, by the way. Yes. And not only that, they're like, they're all about Luger. Yeah, I guess we haven't, I mean, we talked about it a bit, but I mean, you could put throughout this entire episode us saying the crowd is hot. Like, yes. they're hot for all of it. Yeah. And not only that, but they are they are at the right time. So, like, anytime Luger, like, gets all pumped up and is trying to pump up their crowd, they get pumped up at that moment. Yes. You know? they're, they're falling along perfectly. Luger then catches Booker T with the back elbow, which causes the Harlem Heat member to fall over the top rope and to the floor. I think it was – I think Mark Curtis is the one that's officiating. I can't remember who it is. But there is – Whoever the uh, official is, I I watch him at that moment, and he does like a gesture of his back elbow. 
Yeah. Which is like he's suggesting like this is the reason why it's not a disqualification. Ah, sure. And I just like it was just a little detail that I really liked. Um, anyway, at that moment, we head to a commercial break. When we return, Luger counters a Booker T suplex attempt with a series of forearms, then hits a running power slam for a two count. Booker T recovers and drops Luger neck first onto the top rope and takes upper hand of the contest. He tosses Luger out of the ring, giving Sherry the opening to kick the total package in the ribs. Booker T pounds on Luger at ringside before tossing him into the ring for a nonchalant cover, which only gets a two count. Booker T misses a Harlem sidekick, and Luger t- takes advantage, hitting clotheslines and a power slam before signaling for the torture rack, which is, I like also like this moment too because like, a lot of fans are doing the torture rack thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, that I was, I just, I just like the the visual of that. However, Booker T grabs the ropes to prevent the finisher from being applied. Then finally hits a Harlem sidekick. At this point, it's like a few seconds before this, but at this point, you will you can see Colonel Robert Parker has arrived at ringside. It's what it's it's just kind of funny. Like he arrived at ringside a little bit earlier, but you can tell. That he's kind of waiting for his moment. Yeah. You know, so he hasn't like approached Sherry. But when he does, he approaches like like they haven't seen each other in years. Parker has uh his arm around Sherry, and it's like they're both looking at Booker T like they're like really proud parents. Yeah. It's just kind of a funny image. Um Booker T then um goes on to the second rope to do something. I don't know what he planned on doing. And Colonel Robert Parker gets onto the apron and, and starts hanging on the ropes and is like trying to encourage Booker T to keep doing what he's doing. It's, I don't understand the motivation. Yeah. Um, anyway, it does what they wanted to do, which is distract Booker T. Uh, Booker T grabs Parker by the, by the coat and looks like he's going to hit him or just admonish him or something. Uh, but it gives Luger the opportunity to hit Booker T from behind with the forearm, then schoolboys him for the pinfall victory. It's something it's like it was a match for like the finish. I get what they were going for, but nothing that Parker does as far as going onto the ropes yeah. makes any sense at all. Yeah, he just fucks up like a big dumb idiot. <laughs> <laughs> right. And not only that, but it's like Booker T also is just on the ropes so we can notice Parker. Like, I don't get what move he was going to go for. Or if he, I, I don't yeah. know. The, the, the execution was, was terrible. And also, it's another one of those things where it's like, um, I mean, Luger doesn't need a cheat to beat Booker T. Right. Although, I mean, it, and I thought that we were past the whole Luger's kind of like a tweener. Yeah, I don't think they're going back to that, personally. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I just... This match, I'm not really getting what the benefit was besides advance like the Carl Robert Parker deal, if that's even going to go anywhere. I don't remember where the storyline goes, but um, I feel like it could have been done a lot better than that. After the match, Parker immediately starts defending himself to an angry and confused Sherry Martell. We see Sting standing silently, unmoving in the rafters of the building. <laughs> and that, in this week, it doesn't distract Lex Luger. Yeah. Well, maybe he was like, okay, I know he's going to be there. Just Lex be cool. Lex? Lex? What if he's there? Just keep flexing, Lex. I keep leaving you calls. (laughs) Leaving you calls. (laughs) We come back to the announce desk where the announcers are joined by Eric Bischoff, who is calling in from Portland. 
And as we said this weekend on all of our television programs on the TBS, Eric Bischoff was on his way to Portland, Oregon in the contract negotiations to sign the match. And we do believe we have Eric Bischoff on the telephone right now. Eric, I know it's been a very busy weekend for you. I know it's been a very trying time for you. And uh, let's, uh, Eric, do we have Eric on at this time? Yeah, Tony, I've got okay, you. Okay, Eric, uh, I know it's been a very trying time. I know you've been in negotiations. And how are things going right now between you and uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper? Well, uh, things are going extremely well between myself and Roddy Piper, uh, and I'd like to be able to announce here to the crowd and, and all the people watching uh, Coast to Coast that we have a match signed. Unfortunately, as well as things are going between uh, Roddy Piper and myself, and as much as I think deep down inside he really would love an opportunity to get into the ring with Hulk Hogan, unfortunately, uh, Roddy Piper, like at a lot of uh, top athletes and, and, in his case, uh, actors, uh, have agents and they have attorneys and unfortunately I have to report that uh, things are not going as well as I would have hoped with uh, Roddy Piper's uh, management let's what, just put it that way what's the hang-up Eric is, is it money is it uh, is there something you can point to that's the one hang-up that you're having right now no there's no one thing uh, like I said deep down inside I know Piper would love to do it <laughs> but I'm not exactly sure if it's a WCW thing or if it's because of movie commitments I'm not exactly sure I wasn't able to pin his management down I just got stonewalled three or four times uh, over the weekend and then again today I do want to let everybody know though that I am scheduled to fly to Toronto next Tuesday uh, to continue conversations with Roddy so maybe I'll, I'll, I'll get a little farther with Roddy Piper than I did with his management well I, I think they realize and I'm talking about Roddy Piper's people the magnitude of this match and and my feeling guys is realizing what it means to the sport that's why he's getting the stonewall eric would you agree with that i would i would agree with that and again hopefully next tuesday when i can sit down with roddy uh on the set of his, his latest movie we can sit down and we can talk about it and i can find out from him because his management works for him he doesn't work for them and hopefully we'll be able to get this thing resolved because i know a lot of people based on faxes and emails and internet a lot of people would love to see this match and it would be the match of a decade, and I, and I have to say this, and I hope Roddy doesn't take this offensively, but these two guys both have egos the size of Mount Hood yeah. as I look at the, you know, the situation here. So, Eric? Yeah. Bobby Heenan. Yeah. You, you know what Hogan's going to do, don't you? He's going to spread the word to everybody that Piper's hiding behind attorneys, and he's told his attorneys to make excuses. You know the kind of liar Hogan is? That's what he's going to do. Well, who knows what's going through Hogan's mind. I certainly don't. Well, the match has not been signed yet, but, Eric, we all know you. We know you will work until that match gets signed, so stay with it, okay? Do my best. All right. Eric Bischoff, executive producer of World Championship Wrestling. Eric says that negotiations are going well, but right now he can't announce a match. He says agents and attorneys are muddying up the deal despite his belief that Piper truly does want the match. Asked what the specific sticking points might be, Eric seems to have just no idea. Yeah. They've, they've clearly, like, mapped out how this angle should work, but they just they needed to come up with some more specifics. And like, we always talk about how, like, they we don't script anything. We just do it on the fly. Yeah. Sometimes you need to come up with, like, some more specifics because otherwise it doesn't make a ton of sense. He's like, we want to offer this guy the match. He wants to do this match. Okay, well, why isn't it happening? I don't know. Does he want more money? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. And I, I think it, in particular you need to do it, especially with Bobby Heenan. Yeah, because Bobby Heenan will ask those questions. Yeah, yeah. He's always he he's always like a hundred percent into like his character and the storyline, or him being a broadcast journalist and wanting to know why. Right. And <laughs> it's just like you should realize Bobby Heenan's gonna ask a lot of questions. You should have answers for him. Eric says that next Tuesday he's going to Toronto in order to talk to Rock, 
in order to talk to Roddy directly face-to-face, and he hopes that some more progress can be made then. They wish Eric the best of luck in getting this huge match made. So my thought was, it sounds like Piper is very, um, like he's into the idea of coming in. Yep. But the fact that he talks about how like the lawyers and attorneys are muddling up the process. Yeah. Can he really say it's going well then? <laughs> it doesn't seem like it's going well. If it was going yeah. well, wouldn't they have it like figured out since they had been talking the whole show? Yeah. That there's going to be an announcement. I, I did, his idea of going well is very confusing for me. <laughs> well, yeah, there's some things I want to say, but I, I it's too much uh, on future developments. So we'll sure. we'll get there in due time. Yeah, I I just died. They they talked since the beginning of the show that they were going to have this announcement. Yeah, and they sounded like the idea was that it was going to be the, the announcement would be made that today. Right. And the fact that they didn't to me says negotiations are not going well. Yeah. So it's just, it doesn't make sense that he's like, oh yeah, I mean like Piper's really nice and stuff. Yeah. But other well, than I guess that, here's, here's the deal. Here's what I'll say. You're right. It doesn't make sense, but it's not, it's, you're supposed to think that it doesn't make sense. You're supposed to be like, if they seem like this was such a sure thing, like what is the problem? That doesn't make any sense. Like they're telling the story, right? If you're asking that question, in my opinion. Okay. All right. I can go with that. I mean, I guess I just don't know how it goes in the next few weeks. So, yeah. I mean, right now at this point, just just from what I've seen and heard and not been thinking about like the big picture, yeah, it doesn't make sense for him to say it's going well. Sure. That's all. We then cut to replays of the end of Slim Jim's Halloween Havoc. And I guess we're finally going to see the full footage. Here it comes, Dave. Here we go. All right. It- Indeed, we start with Hogan's promo before Piper's entrance. So unlike last week where they started like late into it, this we're finally starting at the beginning. Uh, it goes on for minutes and minutes and minutes, mm-hmm. and we're finally getting to the part that we didn't get to see at the pay-per-view, uh-huh. and then it cuts off early again. Fucking A. <laughs> There's like at least a minute more on the pay-per-view that didn't air on this Nitro, and then whatever happened after the pay-per-view just like I, we're never gonna see it. It's never gonna happen. <laughs> right. I should give up on even thinking about it because I don't want to keep seeing this one section of it again. Yeah. I I've seen this several times, and it's so it's like I f- I feel like the reason why they don't show it is because they actually didn't record it. <laughs> this would not surprise me in the slightest. Tony starts his wrap up of the show, but the NWO's music hit it. But the NWO's music hits and out comes Vincent, Ted DiBiase, and WCW world champion Hulk Hogan. Hogan trades his belt to DiBiase for the microphone that Ted was holding, and let's hear what the Hulkster has to say. on the 16th of November. That's the Cable Ace Awards. And as of yet, Trillionaire Ted, I don't have my invitation. Matter of fact, nobody in the NWO does. 
but especially Hollywood doesn't have his invitation. And you know something? I also know that Ted Turner is going to be sitting in the front row at the Cable Ace Awards. Well, let me tell you something, billionaire Ted, not trillionaire Ted, billionaire Ted Turner. If I don't get nominated for the Cable Ace Awards, I am the man that made you what you are. I'm the reason Nitro is the hottest cable show in the country. And Ted Turner. Give me a break. If Hollywood Hogan doesn't win a Cable Ace Award, even if I don't get an invitation, I'll crash the party and I'll take yours away from you, Ted Turner, you little chump. He can win Goon of the Year, I can tell you that. That's me one of those air sickness bags. Now to wrestling matters at hand. The whole world is wearing black and white with NWO all over it. Hollywood Hogan is the world's heavyweight champion at the top of the ladder. And you know something? Not only am I a champion in the ring, I'm a champion in front of the camera. And when I saw Roddy Piper in Las Vegas a week ago, I did everything I could to lead that little sissy with a skirt on to slaughter. I put on the greatest act of my acting career, trying to get him in the ring with me, trying to get him to make a move, Trillionaire Ted. I did everything except lay on my back, begging for Rowdy Roddy Piper, the man that wears the mini skirt, to step up to the plate and fight me. But as I brought the lamb to slaughter, little did I know Piper had no heart. So apparently, Rowdy Roddy Piper is scared to wrestle Hollywood. Apparently, Rowdy Roddy Piper doesn't have this much of Hollywood's guts. So you can probably find him sitting next to the macho man at their favorite rest home somewhere. From this day forward, Hollywood Hogan is your master. From this day forward, Hollywood Hogan will be the NWO Heavyweight Champion. And now, the Santa with Muscles next week will be box office. I guess it's that time, Trillionaire Ted. That's right, Hollywood, one more time. And since the fans loved it so much last week. Yeah, do we gotta watch this? And since Hollywood appreciates your undying support for the NWO, he's gonna entertain you one more time. Go ahead, Hollywood, let him have it. The negotiations continue for Hollywood Hulk Hogan and Rowdy Roddy Piper. It would be the match of the decade. Like last week, Hulk starts off by asking for the lights to be dimmed other than a spotlight for him. He points at his butt for a while. Hogan says on the 16th of November the Cable Ace Awards will be held, but he doesn't have his invite yet, even though Ted Turner will be there. Hogan says that if Turner doesn't get him nominated for an Ace Award, he's going to crash the party and take Turner's away from him. Uh, and I finally figured out why he keeps droning on about this. Him, uh, Nash, and Hall do crash the Cable Ace Awards, or crash oh, in quotes. Yeah. It's like they've got four or five skits throughout the Cable Ace Awards 
where the outsiders are and Hogan are there fucking around. Okay. So there is a reason he's continued. At first, I was like, why does he keep bringing this up? Uh, he actually, it, it is leading to something. So it, it makes more sense than it probably appears on paper. Okay, fair enough. Hogan says that he did everything he could to lead that little sissy with a skirt onto the slaughter. Uh, so his his sort of tack now is that in Vegas, when he was acting afraid of Piper, it was to lure Piper into a fight, which he would then show that he's not afraid of Piper. See, that's it was he was being coy. Uh-huh. It was all in his performance. Yeah, but that uh, clearly Piper has no heart and is scared to wrestle in. He then says that Piper must be sitting next to the Macho Man in their favorite rest home. Hogan says that from this day forward, he is our master. <laughs> and he okay. plugs next week's opening of Santa with Muscles. DiBiase hypes up Hogan entertaining us again, and Hogan shakes his butt and poses, tears off his shirt, etc. So it's pretty much what he did last week. It's like an exact copy. I, I almost thought about not putting in the audio clip because, like, it's just the same thing, basically. Yeah. Uh, Tony signs off, and that is the end of our broadcast. Uh, my personal thoughts in this episode, sort of similar to last week. I thought that it was decent. It wasn't great. Mm-hmm. Uh, they moved so forward some stories incrementally uh, in that we got development for Hogan and Piper. The American males started to show some signs of problems. Uh, Harlem Heat and Colonel Robert Parker are having issues. Luger is focused on Sting. Um, Teddy Long and Chris Jericho are continuing to feud with Patrick. We got a little bit in the cruiserweight division. Mm-hmm. So things are are slowly building for the next pay-per-view and the storylines in the future. Yeah. And similar to last week where... Uh, last week, I think you might remember, I said that all the wrestling was good, even though like the booking was confusing at times as to who was facing whom and why. Yeah. Here, I actually thought, like, the booking made a lot more sense. I, like, understood why these people were being programmed with each other. Yes. Uh, the most confusing thing, I guess, would be Scotty Riggs going for the cruiserweight title, which is kind of confusing. But it, mm-hmm. it was not a big deal. And at least they brought up his shoulder in training and trying to lose the weight and stuff. Yep. Um, so there was nothing that I, I really had a problem. So I thought this was a fine episode. Uh, mm-hmm. Not great, but n- nothing wrong with it. I don't feel like we like I did when we were in that, like, long slogging period uh, leading up to Halloween Havoc. Mm-hmm. Like uh, so, yeah. What did you think of the show? Uh, just kind of overall. Uh, well, I, I mean, it felt it almost felt like a do-over of last week because a lot of a lot of it was structured the same, except that you know the booking, like the match booking was better. Yeah. Um, I thought the in ring, I thought there wasn't anything in ring that I hated. Yeah, know? even the women's match, which wasn't as good as it could have been, uh, it wasn't terrible. Yeah. I mean, it was short, and I really liked uh, what's her name's outfit. So that was good. Yes. I mean, for if it's a three minute match, if I'm entertained by the outfit, then that's a success. It, it, it was a very lackluster ending to the show, uh, especially since it, I, I mean, I think if we went back to look that once his promo, when Togan's promo was done, yeah. I think they only had like a minute before they were off the air because we didn't get like a wrap up whatsoever, which is pretty rare. Um, but like you said. I, a lot of uh, angles, stories, things like that were progressed. Um, I feel like that they're doing a much better job this pay-per-view of uh, getting an idea of some of the matches for the next pay-per-view out there right away. Because um, we have World War Three, we have um, um, Benoit and Kevin Sullivan. 
I'm sure there's other matches. <laughs> there was other examples I could, I could think of. I could think of, but not, I can't think of them right now. But yeah, um, no, I think that they're doing. I think they're doing a, a much better job leading up to this pay per view. So I I think this was a better a better show than last week. I mean, it's not a fantastic show by any means, but I I think that they're moving the right direction to World War Three. All right. Well, uh, there's just one thing to do then before the end of our show, and that is pick out your match of the night and your MVP. Uh, let's start with match or segment. Segment, of course, uh, acceptable mm-hmm. of the night. Uh, and let's start with you, Dave. What'd you have? I'm going to give mine as a match, and it's going to be uh, Chris Benoit versus Hector Guerrero. Um, and this is going to be a little bit different. It's not necessarily just like the pure in-ring action. Uh, but it's more, I really was just entertained yeah. uh, and intrigued by Hector Guerrero's kind of unconventional wrestling style. Um, I think anytime when I see a new wrestler on Nitro, that makes me want to see him some more. That's always a positive. So I'm going to give mine to Hector Guerrero and Chris Benoit. Yeah. All right. I give mine to Ice Train and DDP. Uh, it was just a short standard televised match, but I thought there were some fun aspects. I liked uh, I just like Ice Train. I like when he does crazy stuff. Yep. Uh, I just he's got like just seeing a big man like that do stuff like leapfrog a tall guy like DDP do those insane standing uh, splashes and mm-hmm. sentons that he does and the height that he gets on them is just crazy. Uh, so that was my match of the night. And it's so it's so it's kind of weird just like watching something that like because you know how the future turns out. Like Ice Train doesn't really amount a whole lot. But just uh, just rewatching it, you're just kind of hoping th- yeah. history changes. Because I, I just I, I think at the time when I saw him, I didn't think a lot of him. But just like kind of being like older and appreciating just like different wrestling styles, being yeah. like, for he's not only does he move well for a big man, but he just is like just interesting to watch in the ring. Yeah, he he moves in an interesting way. Yeah. Uh, so that brings us then to our MVP. Uh. I thought this was a tough one to choose, and it's not like everyone was bad. It was just I don't know who really stood out for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to go, actually, with uh, someone who has never been an MVP choice for either of us, and I'm giving mine to Marcus Alexander Bagwell, uh, who did a good job, I- in my opinion, and we'll we'll see if, if this pays off in the way that I'm thinking it will, uh, but he did a good job of subtly planting the seeds for a heel turn. Mm-hmm. And then maybe a little more obviously in the rigs match kind of with the shoving into that and then pleading his uh, like apology afterward and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just thought it was really good. I thought it was really good planting of the seeds. Um, I, you know, I think we're both certainly aware that in the long term they end up not being a, a team. Um, so, you know, that split has to come at some point, And I think this is the beginning of, of that split, but yep. I really like the way it was done, and uh, most of that was because of the way that Bagwell played it tonight. Mm-hmm. So he's getting my MVP. How about you? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go along with you. I'm gonna give mine to Marcus Alexander Bagwell as well. Um, I'm going to give it for more of a different reason, in that um, I felt like he did a really good job of showing that he can hold a crowd on his own, as far as a singles wrestler is concerned. Yeah, and not only that, but just wrestling a singles match. The pacing, uh, just the um, ever like the kind of uh, technical aspects of uh, being a singles wrestler, you can just tell like this is a guy that's gonna be perfectly fine as a singles wrestler yeah. instead of uh, 
he's a tag team wrestler thrown out there and really doesn't know what to do with himself. Like, right. This guy, I, he's seen, cause he has had a long, like, uh, quite a few years now up to this point, uh, being tag teams with like different guys for yeah. extended periods of time. Yeah. But now you can see like, Oh no, this, this is the kind of guy they should be given a try. Like Booker T. Like these are guys that should be given a good try at right. being singles wrestlers. Right. So yeah, I I agree. I would I'm gonna give mine to uh, Marcus Alexander Beckwell. That is gonna do it here for us tonight on our Nitro review episode. But remember that you can find us back here on your airwaves. Uh, <laughs> I there's something with podcasts where you always kind of pretend it's a radio show. Yeah. Uh, but we will be back here in your podcast feed, in your RSS catcher, your podcast app, whatever the fuck you're listening to us on. Your streaming service of preference. <laughs> With our worldwide episode uh, where we will take a look at the wrestling world starting from tonight, November 4th, 1996, and extending through the weekend, uh, ending on November 10th, 1996. And we will look at everything that happened uh, and we'll try to give you a deep dive, including what's going on over on Raw during this episode, which, a uh, little sneak peek for you, there's a gun over on Raw. What? Yeah, former uh, f- uh, WCW star Brian Pillman, uh, he's got himself a little gun, and we're going to talk all about it right here where the big boys play. 20 years of Nitro. I'll see you up in the bathroom, Baltimore.